Well, we doing a show? Yeah. Speaking of comics, <laughs> let's let's jump into this. And uh, Gene, I don't know if you're aware of this, but but you're on here to be our uh, Norse expert. Really? Yeah, I figured That's that would shock you. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, but, well, you're gonna get some expertise on your story. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. There's one where uh, where he gets the Odin ring and he like makes Odin like go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he, he's you know it's it's like he sends him to the Odin sleep and Odin walks <laughs> off with his his fluffy slippers and stuff. He gives um, him a glass of warm milk and yeah. puts him to bed. <laughs> and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Genesis. What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. You want to bring it in? All right. Do I want to bring it in? No. Oh, you're such a lazy <laughs> shit. The dog doesn't want to bring it in either. Come here, dog. Come here. You have, the, you have the first book, right? Yeah. All right, I'll bring it in. Thank you. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our Loki score episode. This is the shameless obligatory coattails riding episode for the upcoming, uh, or maybe by the time you hear this, maybe it'll already be out. I don't yeah, know. You, you may have uh, watched Loki. the whole series by the time you hear this. <laughs> Uh, Loki on uh, on Disney Plus, so uh, we are going to shamelessly tie into that by covering some books uh, in which uh, Loki has some connection to them, one way or the other. Anyway, uh, I am Scott Gardner. I am joined, as always, by my very good friend, Paul Spataro. Hello. And our guest third chair for this episode, please welcome back to the show, Gene Hendricks. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Gene. You've been listening to Jay Guys and Jedi, haven't you? I've heard that, that theme song before. Gene, now, so now, Gene, are you a guest of evil or mischief? I tend to be more uh, on the mischief side of things, although most many people think that I'm dull and boring to begin with. <laughs> But but what about when your wife isn't around? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's when the dog and I can have fun. That's that's Uh, you know he is he is the dog of mischief. I'll tell you that. But you know we're doing this this Loki episode obviously, and they seem to go back and forth in the comics and. I'm not going to. I'm not going to pretend that to to have any more knowledge than I do. Uh, 99.9% of my Norse knowledge comes from comic books. Uh, 
but they seem to, to vacillate between Loki is the god of mischief and the god of evil. And in the cinematic universe, which now we're doing this, you know, pending the new series on Disney Plus, uh, in the cinematic universe, they seem to have much more gone with the mischief because he isn't really evil so much as he is unpredictable and willing to do whatever. So he's more mischievous, in, you know, at least in how he's presented there. Right. But what in Norse legend, what do we look at? The, the majority of Loki is God of Mischief. I mean, he'll, he'll pull pranks and things like that, but he also helps out. Uh, a lot of times he will get the gods into trouble and then... Odin will smack him around, and then he'll have to help get the gods back out of trouble. He doesn't really become the god of evil until Baldur's death. And once he's... Once Baldur's dead, and Loki is unrepentant for it, then he is the god of evil until the end of times. So it's not, it's not a back-and-forth thing. It's, okay, he... You can see a bit of a progression... But he's mainly the god of mischief, and then he just ma- turns this corner, and that's it. He's done. Okay, so it's almost the, the reverse of what we get in the comics. Because I feel like in the comics, when they initially presented him, he was presented more as being evil. Because, he, you know, at that era of comics writing, the villains were more two-dimensional. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why you had the, you know, the... the the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Who calls themselves evil? You know? <laughs> uh, and Loki was presented as more of an evil character at that time. You know, he was unrepentant and whatever. But then, you know, in more recent times, I think he, he's been much more three-dimensional and kind of developed more of that mischievous personality. And I think that's how he's presented in the cinematic universe. Yeah, well, in the cinematic universe, he's basically, he's self-centered. Even when he doesn't know what his true parentage is in the, the first Thor movie, he is self-centered. He's trying to rile Thor up. Hey, why, why don't you, you know, I can't tell you to go attack the, the Jotuns. Yeah. But if you don't, it's really going to look bad. You know, he, he riles Thor up in order to put himself on the throne. You know, get Thor kicked out so he can take over. Not so much evil as self-serving. And even going through everything in that, he is, with his connection to Freya and Frigga and everybody, you know, it's it's just... He has some innate goodness in him in the cinematic universe, but he needs to be convinced about it. Yeah, so uh, he, he, he can is, easily be swayed off the good side. So right. to you know to something else that he thinks serves his purposes, right? But he hasn't done anything overtly. Uh, I'm going to kill this guy just because I want to, and then laugh in people's faces about it later. It it just that has not happened. Gotcha. And I guess we're going to see what's going to happen. Have a, we we should have a Brotherhood of Evil podcasters. Don't, don't we? <laughs> Hello, Professor Allen? <laughs> but Doom is not evil. Doom is benevolent. 
Well, certainly if you ask Doom, that's true. <laughs> well, I've said so many times that that I, you know, I think you have to have some to to give the uh, Alfred quote from The Dark Knight. Some some people just want to see the world burn, and those people, when they uh, present them in the comics, they're either psychotic or pure evil. You you do need some some villains like that, but. As a general rule, your best villains see themselves as the hero of their story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Doctor Doom thinks he's the hero of the story, much like uh, Lex Luthor thinks he's the hero of the story, and Magneto thinks he's the hero of the story. You know, the, these characters think that they know better and that they do the right thing all the time. And that the world is better under their rule. Anyway, what are we looking at today? Well, only one Thor book, which is the amusing part. (laughs) That is kind of strange. But, well, I have the Thor book, which is also the oldest of the books we're looking at. Because mine has a cover date of April of 1970. So some of us were very young then, and some of us, I think, did not exist. You would be correct, sir. So I was I was somewhat young. Scott was very young, and my per- my parents hadn't even met yet. <laughs> oh, you make me feel so old. <laughs> so the cover of my song cue. Yeah, yeah, the cover of my book has uh, it, the, it has the title "The Fall of Asgard" on it, and uh, Loki is standing on some sort of a podium with a sword in hand, uh, which is being held to the throat of Thor, who's kind of uh, back on his uh, back on his haunches, and then we have the Warriors Three, and then several unidentified uh, Asgardians in the background who are kind of bowing to the situation. And we were just discussing this. This is credited to Jack Kirby, Tom Palmer, and Marie Severin. And I think it's an extremely rare moment when someone's inking overpowers the Kirby to the point where it's difficult to see that it's Kirby. But that's what we're looking at here. The the facial. Where, where are you getting Where are you getting those credits from? The Marvel database. Okay, I, I I'm not trying to be argumentative. It's just I pulled it up on Mike's Amazing World because I, I wanted to see what Mike had on it and he's got that the penciler was Marie Severin and the inker's John Burporton. That would not shock I, me because I was gonna say that I, I see I definitely see Marie Severin in the faces. Mm-hmm. If I'm seeing Kirby here and quite frankly I'm not seeing a lot of Kirby in it, but if I'm seeing Kirby it's in the uh buildings or machinery or background mm-hmm. behind Loki. It looks looks to me right. to be, you know, Kirby techish. Uh, but I'm not seeing a lot of Kirby otherwise. And like I, I started to say, if it is Kirby, it's a very rare occasion where his pencils were overpowered by the inking. Uh, and Marie Severin had a very distinct style from every other artist except for John Severin. Uh, hmm. their, their styles both look phenomenally similar to me. Uh, where, like, if... If at some point in my life I had found out that John Severin didn't exist and was just a uh, a name that Marie Severin went by because of the you know 
the male-dominated nature of the uh, industry to get by it, it wouldn't have shocked me. That's that's how similar I see their 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 styles. Mm. Uh, Tom Palmer, I I always felt Tom Palmer was a real solid inker, but he isn't a guy who would overpower the pencils either. Uh, he can be though because he. I yeah. know when he he did a lot of work on Avengers. Uh, he was also the initial inker on the Quasar series. Well, he did a lot of work with, with John Ryan. with John Buscema. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like they Tom Palmer would be the guy that would smooth out the differences between like if a pencil are changed, and he would he would keep it consistent to make sure yeah. that it didn't look so shocking that from one issue to the next so well, that, that he could would, overpower that would be similar in a way to a discussion scott and i recently had uh but i don't think it's an episode that i think will air after this one uh about joe Sinnott and the way mm-hmm. he inked kirby and then rich buckler and john Busima and uh you know a lot of different people on on the uh fantastic four title and still kept a very steady hand going through it yeah i i would back gene up on that i i don't i don't want to use the word overpowering and in a lot of that's because i'm a huge tom palmer fan i think the guy is just oh, yeah. an incredible artist as both an inker and just you know an, an artist in his own right so i don't want to say overpowering um i tend to look at him as unifying because you know, a lot of times he was on a book for a long, healthy run. And like with Star Wars, I always come back to Star Wars. Yeah. But, you know, with Marvel Star Wars, I mean, he off the top of my head, I think he's probably the the one creator who who had who had the most consistent, uh, you know, consistency on the title. So a lot of times I looked at his kind of heavy inking style as he was trying to unify the look of the book as the book changed pencilers, you know, through the, through the course of its run. Um, but I, I don't know. I, the, this cover, it looks Palmer like, but I'm not really sure that it, that it is Palmer. I don't know. I mean, Mike, you know, Mike Boyle's Mike's amazing world. He's usually pretty spot on with these things. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. Now I want to hunt up, more credits from other sites and see if we can get like a, a, yeah, a consensus I, opinion. But well, I think style-wise, looking at the cover, the one thing we can agree on is that it looks like it's Marie Severin. Oh yes, definitely. That it looks like what? I'm sorry. Marie Severin. Especially, I, I wish I was more familiar with her style to be able to say yes or no. I, unfortunately, I she's one I I can't pick out of a crowd yet. Uh, you, I think it's mainly like in the faces of Thor and Loki. It that that seems like her style of face, and uh, this is because I I'm listening to a lot of the uh, Make Ours Marvel podcasts, and they're in some of the Marie Severn Hulk issues now. So you you can kind of see the 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 facial expressions there. Now Fandral, on the other hand, looks more like Tom Palmer. Agreed, agreed. And then. Uh... Do we, I mean it looks like it could be uh, Heimdall and what it could be one of the guys in the back, but I can't really tell for certain who anybody is behind the Warriors Three. Yeah. 
Looks like the swordsman's right behind them. Yes. I'm pretty confident it is not. No. But, uh, you know, in particular, I really like Loki's sneer on the cover. Yeah, you... You you would think he would be happy to have Thor down at sword point, but he's he's seems to be just more pissed off than anything else. Well, I think he's pissed off at Thor. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but uh, and we have the uh, the long handled Mjolnir. Mm. I prefer I prefer it when it's drawn that way. So, see, I don't simply because that's kind of part of the point of the story of the hammer is it was created and it was supposed to be a mistake because the handle was too short. Okay, but because Thor, Thor was able to wield it effectively, it became, you know, the symbol of the religion. But the whole, the entire thing of that story is Loki is trying to mess up the dwarves creating these three treasures. And Mjolnir came out with a handle that was too short so seeing it like a sledgehammer, just I never got into that. Okay, you know that that's where your knowledge of the true mythology uh, enters into it. Whereas you know, again, my knowledge is purely from the comics themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like the look of it with the long handle. So the story opens with uh, guys who are ready to uh, carjack a truck. I don't know if that's a proper term, carjack a truck. Oh, I should actually give the credits. It says, produced by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, inked by Bill Everett, and lettered by Artie Simic. So there's these, you know, gangster dudes all wearing fedoras ready to uh, attack a truck that ha- hiding behind some rocks, excuse me, some rocks as the truck is approaching. And Thor is kind of hanging out at the top of the rocks ready to subdue them. Uh, the truck pulls up and they they come out and you know guns guns in the air ready to go. So Thor is there in in waiting and what he does is he slams Mjolnir down on the ground to create a shock wave, which I'm still not sure actually works in physics, but uh, he does so and he says uh, he's going to stop them without injuring anybody, which I really don't understand the logic of that, too, because if I break up the ground underneath you, I'm pretty confident I'm going to injure you. Uh, but the, it makes them kind of fall back and makes the guns come out of their hands. And then the uh, law enforcement people who are waiting on these carjackers uh, come out and thank Thor, who's gathered the, the, the guns himself and is walking up with them. We cut can from I, there. Can I stop you for just a second? Yeah, go ahead. If, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Mjolnir, you know, comic book Mjolnir, Marvel Mjolnir, doesn't it have some power? Like if, I want to say like Thor rubs the head of the mallet or some shit like that. Like it has it, like a It stiffens up field. and grows. Oh. <laughs> that, that's something he used but, in Avengers is he would, he would pass it over the ground and pull up the magnetic field of the earth yeah and yeah, yeah. he's done that before um, yeah yeah why didn't he just do that because that almost looks like that is what he's doing when you look just at the weapons flying out of the guy's hands because it doesn't look by the art like it's the shock wave that's pu- it looks like they're being yeah. pulled out of their hands not that they're like 
flinging them as they fly about type of it just looks a little odd that, that might Sorry, be a uh, a lee and kirby miscommunication there well right i i would agree except in this in this the uh, panel where the mule is hitting the ground there's rocks coming up as if being dislodged by the hammer hitting and then in the next one where you see this the shock wave moving along the ground the ground is also crumbling underneath it Right. Well, so that's not to say he didn't do two things, you know, knock them over and then magnetically pull their guns from them. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll accept it. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but after that scene, we cut to Asgard, where uh, the Warriors Three and Boulder are meeting up with Carnella, who's I love she's got her back to them as they walk up, like she can't even be bothered paying attention. Uh, and they, they have a discussion and come to the conclusion that they are going to agree to disagree about their uh, al- their, their allegiance in the uh, war with Asgard. Uh, and then and that's it. They walk off. But then uh, there are mountain giants on the march that uh, Loki has uh, put into play. And he's, he's being held aloft on a uh, seat and carried to the fray. Uh, meanwhile, Thor is heading back to uh, become Dr. Blake until he sees she who owns the very heart of Thor, who is Sif, because he no longer cares about Jane Forster, who he loved uh, very much before, but not so much now. Uh, and she lets him know that there's problems going on in Asgard and that they need his help. So he swings the hammer and transports them to Back to Asgard, where they appear on the Rainbow Bridge, and then come over to where the Asgardian army is being deployed against Loki's forces. He hops on a horse with Sif and has at the battle, and uh, I think Thor's presence alone is enough to turn the tide in their favor. But Loki, being the clever dude that he is... Uh, slips off and goes into the chambers where Odin sleeps in his nice little comfy bed uh, with a nice blankie on him and everything. And while he's... when they, The Odin cozy. The, yeah. the, <laughs> or as Tom Harris refers to it, his race car bed. It is kind of the race car bed. <laughs> so they're ready to take take Loki into... Uh, into custody, but then he says, you know, aren't I Odin's blood, which he really isn't. Uh, mm. And and they, they all back off and they don't seize him, and he, he sneaks away, he sneaks the Odin ring away while everybody's uh, just kind of discussing stuff. So then, as the, the battle is turning in their favor with Thor, all of a sudden the uh, trumpets start blaring, and they come over and they realize... Loki has taken charge of Asgard, and he shows them the beautiful little ring that he's got on his hand. And that is a really, really ugly shot of of Loki, uh, which I kind of think is really cool, because as Chris Tyler has said, nobody draws ugly people better than Kirby. <laughs> so... That actually looks like a little, like a little orphan any decoder ring is what it looks like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really as majestic as you'd expect for the ring that's going to cause you to have power over the whole, you know, Asgardian realm. But anyway... Uh, Be sure to drink your Odin. <laughs> a crummy commercial? 
after <laughs> after some debate, they all uh, realize that because he has the ring, they have to uh, submit to him, and the reign of Oki of Loki begins. And he f- finishes it by saying, now let evil flourish over the world, which goes to what I was saying earlier about mischievous Loki as opposed to evil Loki. It's like he wants evil for some reason in this. And I, I don't really see why that would be the case now that he's in power. If, if I was to steal the Pope's ring, do I get to be Pope? You get to drive in the Pope-mobile. Oh, that would be awesome. You play the Pope theme song as you drive. (laughs) Make one of the Cardinals squat down on the Pope cycle. Now, that's something I I actually wanted to ask you about, Gene, is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in these comics we have the Odin sword, which always seemed to be ridiculous to me because it's so large that, you know, I don't care how powerful you are, it would just be too clumsy to wield. Right. Uh, and you have the Odin ring and the Odin sleep. And, you know, is all of this stuff in the actual mythology? No. <laughs> there, <laughs> now, Odin actually does have a ring. Uh, the ring is named Dropnir. And its magical property is that, well, two things. One, it increases Odin's natural magic. So it's it's a, a booster essentially, but every nine nights, because nine is a mystical number in Norse religion, uh, every nine nights it drops a identical ring to itself. So uh, it, that doesn't have any nest, the power of the original, but still a magical ring. However, none of that means that people bow down just because you're wearing some jewelry that is completely against the whole Norse worldview in fact the Norsemen if their king was not doing a good job they would kill him and elect a new king so this whole thing is you know I'm I'm the crown prince so yeah, that's that's what hasn't seems... done anything for us. <laughs> but then again, now Odin or Loki's argument of being blood of Odin's blood actually makes more sense in the original Norse because in that he is Odin's blood brother, right? Which is why he gets away with so much. He has no relation to Thor other than being part of the Aesir. But it, neither there nor here is he flesh of Odin's flesh. That, that And they know this. <laughs> Kirby and Lee know this. So I have no idea why that line is even in there. Yeah, it's... I mean, I guess once they... Uh, once they decided to make him Thor's brother and... I, you know, you know, and you got to wonder, did they decide to make him Thor's brother or did they just not know and not care? A little bit A, a little bit B. <laughs> but they... And I think I think even, they had established that he... By this time, I'm pretty sure they had established that he was from the uh, Storm Giants. Or, but I think they also had not given you any reason to think Loki knew this or the people at large in Asgard. 
Well, that's what I was going to say is that, I mean, there's a lot of wackiness and inconsistency and just strangeness in the first, I don't know, couple of years of like, you know, Journey into Mystery, you know, when when Thor kind of took over Journey into Mystery and then even into the early issues of Thor, you know, proper when the book became Thor. But by this time, 1970, you know, this is issue 175, they'd worked a lot of that shit out. And the mythology, you know, the comic book mythology of Thor what was pretty solidified by this point. So, yeah, that to me, that's a big old blunder, you know, mm-hmm. of, of Loki saying, am I not blood of Odin's blood? Am I not flesh of Odin's flesh? And nobody in the in the room goes, no, you're not. I mean, because he might be bullshitting them. But somebody out there ought to catch it, you know. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'd be willing to to no prize it that he's saying that, knowing it's not true. But I don't know how you would no prize that everybody stops and goes, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I guess we can't do anything about yeah. it. Somebody in that room should stop and go, no, dude, no, you're not. <laughs> well, Sif does, and then they they have to restrain her. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. <sighs> yeah, but even, but, I mean, you know, in Tales of Asgard, you, you know, te- uh-huh. in, way back when in Tales of Asgard, they actually gave you Loki's origin. But yes, right. I, I I remember that, and I remember the like the final shot of the the little baby uh, being kind of rescued by Odin and all of that. But did they ever say? that Loki knew that this was his history or that they, or that the they, people of Asgard knew because even if Loki well, knew he could just be lying because uh, uh, there there are so many times where he is referred to as Thor's step brother yeah but all that the, no actually I was going to say doesn't that just mean that he's got a different mother but that would be half brother right yeah and right uh he would have a different mother Thor has a different mother from every other one of Odin's children because Odin Odin was a dog. Well, yeah, <laughs> but he, regardless, he even way way back into Journey into Mystery, he was referred to as an adopted brother or a stepbrother. And there are so many times when Odin, in front of everybody, says, "Yeah, but I love my real son more." To Loki. <laughs> so, I don't know, to me, it, it's this this whole point is is almost inconsequential because the thing that I can't buy in this story is that you know here he is, you know, a traitor, a um, oh what's the word? You know, he's uh, he's committing uh, treason. Yeah, he's a turncoat. He's a turncoat. Yeah, you know, leading uh, leading a a rebellious army to overthrow Asgard and and take over, and just simply because he sneaks in in full view of everybody and steals Odin's ring while Odin sleeps and puts it on his finger, suddenly he gets a free pass and now he's king of Asgard. Now. I'm no expert on, you know, medieval times or any shit like that. You know, I, 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 you know, this isn't really my genre, so to speak. But, I mean, 
in what world is that legit? You know, I yeah. mean, is there any historical precedent for, for anything like that ever happening going, you know, somebody goes, ha ha, I have the magic, what you call it. Now I get to be king while the existing king is still alive. And I mean, it just, well, it here's, seems, here's, here's probably the most famous example. Prince John. And what happened with him? He had a rebellion led by his subjects you know not an open warfare thing but the the nobility were against him the commoners were against him no one just said oh yeah richard's a prisoner now okay yeah we'll do whatever you say no i mean i don't get me wrong i really i i enjoy this issue i like this whole storyline and everything it, it, it moves fast it is exciting the art is really good but this particular element of it is it's a bit of a bridge too far. And it's it's really one of those things that you've just got if you're going to enjoy it, you just got to roll with it. Because if you think about it too hard, the story just doesn't work because it, it really is very silly. It, it is. But I, I don't know. It's, I, I, as we were saying earlier, we were talking about this. And I was saying I was looking for there was another one with a very similar storyline uh, where, where Loki somehow seizes power, and I think it's through the Odin ring as well, if I remember right. I I believe you're right, yeah. But Odin is not in the Odin sleep at the time, and then he makes Odin go to bed. It's like he 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 orders him to go to <laughs> Odin's sleep, and I just see you know Odin with his with his you know his his onesie on, just trudging <laughs> off sadly to go to bed because <laughs> because Loki sent him. So. In comparison, this one is deeply, uh, you know, deeply realistic. <laughs> this is not nearly as silly as that in my mind. And that's actually the one I right. wanted to cover tonight, but I didn't have time to find that that particular issue. But yeah, I, I, I seem to think, and, and this is, this goes with that theory, I guess, when, uh, I don't even remember which DC person had the theory that, you know, the comics readers turn over every three years uh, so you could kind of retell stories. Right. So this this one definitely seems to be along those lines because it is a very similar tale, if I remember right. But back to this one in particular, uh, I do think a lot of this is saved by the dynamic artwork of Kirby. And... Uh, one of the like there's certain things in here that he does that I think are not uh, typical of what you'd expect to see from people. Uh, the when when the mountain giants come, the first shot you get is you know from just basically I guess from the thigh down uh, with you know small Asgardians down below, so you, you know you can get an idea of their. Uh, their size in comparison to normal size people. But the next shot has all of these giants moving onward to Asgard. And I feel like it's it's very differently laid out than what you'd normally see because you're not really seeing details of each giant in any way. Uh, the, the one up front, you're only seeing his, you know, basically from his shoulder back down to his legs. You're not seeing his face at all. Another one has half of his head cut off. Uh, other ones are behind these ones, so you're not really seeing them. It's not what what I think your average artist would do, 
but I think it really does give you a sense of the size, the, the majesty yes. of these characters, and also the quick, quick moving nature of them, because you feel like they're almost moving too quickly to stay in frame. I love, love that page. It's a, it's a full page splash. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The way it's staged and the way you're getting just pieces of each of the giants gives it a sense of scale and fluidity. You know, they're, they're passing by and they're massive. So their strides are taking them by this, this view very quickly. So you're just getting kind of a glance, uh, a glimpse of these giants as they stride by, and yeah, it's it's incredibly effective. It's it's as that if you know somebody's trying to take a picture, but they're moving so quickly you couldn't keep them in frame. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is really really cool. It's neat because it also reminds me very much of like a like if this was a movie, like this was a movie made in the '60s. This would be like a, a Harryhausen. Mm. Uh, you know, like a like a um, split screen effect. You know what I mean? Like a special effect of you know the the giant superimposed over the film of you know the normal size people at the but. So it almost has that like special effects quality to you know to the framing of it. It looks really good. Yeah, it's very cinematic. Yeah, and I, I think when you know when Kirby finally, you know, in, if you go to the early '60s when when you know the Marvel universe was developing, you know, Kirby's style was a little bit more simplistic for lack of a better word I don't think that's the right word but you know just bear with me on that uh, until he developed more of the cleaner style that he later adapted and I think some of the work he did on Thor is among among the best work he did for Marvel oh yeah mm-hmm. definitely I like seeing this with some decent inks for a change it's it's not all washed out looking it's it's not you know, thinly rushed inks as he so often got with Vinnie Coletta. This is uh, Bill Everett, who I'm not, I mean, I'm not real crazy about Bill Everett's art style, but this, I mean, this just looks so much better than than a lot of other issues of, of Thor that I've seen uh, where it was Kirby saddled with Vinnie Coletta and Vinnie Coletta just, it, it just looked lazy and rushed you know, in the inks. The funny thing is, is, is that uh, Bill Everett, I think, had a pretty distinctive style of his own, and he did not impose it on Kirby's pencils. Right. He he was. I I see it as he was truly trying to you know to bring out the the richness of Kirby's pencils without ever you know overpowering any aspect of it with his own style. Right. Yeah, it's very lush. I, I really like the the inking here. So what, you know, it looks really good. When when you you know looking at the story on a whole, I think the artwork really does carry the day. The story is fine. It's fun. It's enjoyable. But it's as you said, it's a little silly at points. Mm-hmm. And when when you read it through, it's, it's there's really not a there's a lot going on, but not a lot happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, you know, we, we're jumping back and forth. We have this car, uh, this truck robbery. We have a meeting with Carnilla. We have the the fight with the giants. We have Sif coming to get Thor. You know, there's like a lot of different events that are going on here, mm. and yet from beginning to end, not a, you know, we the story doesn't progress that far. 
so I feel like yeah, like the art yeah. really does carry this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, Scott, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, page four. The close-up uh-huh. of Carnilla. Does that not look like Madame Leota to you? <laughs> I, I thought that before that she looked very... Um, well, I guess she is supposed to be some sort of a witch or something. But yeah, you're right. But the, with the way her collar is coming up and you're just kind of getting a floating head effect, yeah, she yeah. does look very, uh, very Madame Leota. I always liked her, and the thing with her and Balder I thought was really cool. Did, did they ever, whatever happened with them? Did they ever hook up? Did, did they ever become a thing, or what, they, what happens with they that? They did, actually, in the Simonson era. Uh, the re, the whole thing with Surtur coming to Earth, uh, Cascade Ancient Winters and everything. Right. Uh Carnilla sends her army to Earth to help out because Balder says, you do this, I'm going to stay with you. And then he did. And even in the uh, the Balder four-issue limited series, he's he's with her and has to go off and do this the uh, the mission with Thor in into hell, but he still he comes back to Carnilla. What happens far beyond that they're really they do split up because when Odin disappears Baldur's named the regent of Asgard so right. he has to right. has to leave her permanently then but it's funny for a while they were that, a couple <laughs> I've had that Baldur miniseries for god decades you know mm. I mean I can't tell you how how long I'm almost from when it was published I, I didn't buy it new off the stands I, I got it later but I mean just decades and decades and decades I've had that you know all four issues never read it to this day <laughs> I've never never opened it so I need to I need to I'm so overdue to do a, a whole Thor you know reread anyway you know, of all the Simons and stuff and all that but uh well just yeah, some of that mind. some of that rang a bell with me that uh, that she helped out during uh, the Simons. I had forgotten all about that. It's just been a long time since I've read that. Just when you're reading the Balder miniseries, keep in mind that okay, issue one happens in this part of the Thor story. Then issue two is later on in this part uh, of the Thor uh, story. Okay. It, it's if you you can read them all, you know, all four together, but it's not gonna make as much sense as if you slot them in to the the regular Thor title. Right. Now, something that happens in this, and I swear to God we've talked about this on the show before, so maybe it happened again in another issue or something, but there's a sequence here. It's page 15 is only four panels. It's it's broken up into four equal-sized panels on the page. And we see this mace come flying out of nowhere as Thor is uh, he's battling a dragon. He's like caught up in a dragon's tail. This mace comes flying up, smashes the dragon, and frees Thor. And Thor says, Hogan, thy mace strikes true as ever. And then you turn the page, and you see the mace looking like it's flying back into um, Hogan's hand, just like Mjolnir would return to Thor's hand. Uh, it doesn't have any special powers or anything, does it? No. It just, no. I mean, maybe it's just, well, I mean, maybe it is. Captain uh, America's shield always finds its way back to him. Back in his hand? Yeah, What's but that? that bounce, 
Captain America's shield bounces off something. Oh, Cap's like, shield, yeah. It doesn't make yeah. this big arc <laughs> to come back. Right, yeah. But it just this, seemed really odd. Yeah, this, it's almost like the characters were switched. Like, it should have been Hogan in the dragon's grasp, and then Thor throws <laughs> Mjolnir in and rescues him. Right. That, because I can see that work perfectly well. But yeah, here it's... It, the, the mace returning to him. That's strange. Yeah. But then again, like this, this whole issue. And I, I did a quick look up and now I understand why this whole issue to me is n- less Thor and more new gods. Hmm. And if you look at the dates on this, yeah, well, it's, this is very close April, 1970 and he went to D.C. and starred on Jimmy Olsen August 1970. So uh, you can see it was it was rolling around in his head, and it it just it came out right. in this like okay this this is all proto fourth world. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Oh, definitely, I, I can see the uh, and and then and then you know ultimately the Eternals is kind of the same concept too, right. And that's that's where I'm coming down on this. I mean, if this was Fourth World, if this was Eternals, if this was Inhumans, it it would sit better with me than it being Thor. It's just there's so much weirdness in here, and I'm not talking from the Norse lore. I'm talking from what they've done on Thor up to this point in this comic. It's just, there's so many things that got thrown out or changed or whatever, but then again, I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, a series that, what, three years before this, the end of Tales of Asgard was, oh, yeah, this, uh, this thief on a magic carpet cast this spell, and that's how they overturned the guy with the genie. Mm. <laughs> what? How the hell is this Asgard? <laughs> and we can once again refer to Makar's Marvel for that. Mm. Uh, just in the the big splash page of Loki with the ring, I like the guard in the back who's got his shield in his hand and apparently his coat of arms is a big evil chicken head. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sir Robin. <laughs> Uh, I guess we could rate this one and move on to our next book. All right. So now, starting with the cover, uh, there's something I really, really like about this cover, and there's something that I'm just not overwhelmed by, and I'm not sure what they are. I like it. It feels iconic to me, but it doesn't, you know, it's not iconic in an A-plus kind of way. Uh, It's... It, it definitely makes me want to read the story, though. So, I mean, I think that that ultimately is the bottom line on it. I'm going to say a B-plus on the cover. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Some of the anatomy is a little strange as far as positioning and all of that. Uh, but it, it, it's got a dramatic tension to it that I really like a lot. Uh, the colors kind of pop for me on it. Uh, you know, the... the bright white flooring with the blue and the red it, it just and then loki's green and yellow costume on top of that it really does pop a lot 
so I'm going to say a B plus on, on the cover. The interior art, there are points where it's a little bit wonky. For example, the opening splash page, it looks like Thor is way too big for this for the perspective to be correct. Uh, but as we were saying, I think the Bill Everett inks are really complementing his work. Uh, the, the colors in it seem to really do a good job with the colorist. Uh, did a good job. It, it's, you know, there's just enough variance to make the pages, uh, you know, really jump out at you, but there's nothing that, that makes it feel like, oh, that looks stupid <laughs> um, or, or muddy or anything like that. Uh, and there's points where, you know, where, where it's, it, it creates kind of a mood and atmosphere that I like a lot. So I'm going to say the interior art, I'm also going to give a B plus. Uh, the story is just a touch too silly to give a real, real high grade to, but it read well and it was enjoyable to me. Like Scott said, if you can kind of overlook the silliness of it, uh, you know, then, then you're, you're good. So I'm going to say a B, just a regular B on the story. And overall, I'm going to give the book a B plus because despite any flaws with it, I really enjoyed this one. I guess I'll go next. Um, yeah, the cover, very, very solid cover. Gives you a good idea of what's going to be inside. Doesn't actually recreate a scene from inside, which is always a plus. And, you know, it's very nice art. I'm going to go with you, Paul, and say a B plus. Very, very good. Not quite A, but but very, very nicely done. Um Interior art, I mean, it's Kirby on Thor, especially when he's got the giants and a battle and stuff. It's real. This is the kind of thing that I expect when I hear Thor and Jack Kirby. So I'm I'm actually going to say this is an A. Uh, the inking is great. The coloring is great. So yeah, it, it's not quite an A plus, but is definitely an A. Now for the story. Uh, it's probably just, you know, my outside knowledge as well, but the story is just all over the place. It contradicts the Marvel continuity. It contradicts Norse lore. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's almost just like, well, we want to do this. Okay, it's done. There's no real logic behind it. Everyone just falls over backwards. The only the only two people that stand up and say this ain't right are Thor and Sif. And I don't remember there being a a hypnosis thing in the ring. I don't know. Maybe that's something he got in his his Cracker Jack box. I'm not sure. So I'm I'm gonna actually have to give the the story a D, just because it's it's so weird. So that, but, you know, overall, it's probably, the art does bring it up. It's probably going to be a, a B minus book overall for me. Okay. Um, I'm surprised. I think I'm going to be higher on my grades uh, for this and pretty much everything than Paul was. That really surprised <laughs> me. Um, I, I really dig the cover a lot and I was trying to kind of analyze like, why do I think this is such a great cover? And I think part of it is that, um, you know, this is 1970 
it's Marvel, and it's kind of bucking a lot of trends. There is no, there's no word balloons on the cover for one thing. Nobody's speaking. You know, you don't have Loki going ah, ha, ha, I, rah, 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 rah. you know, he, there's nothing. He's just, he's got this great evil sneer. He's holding a sword to to um, Thor's throat. You know, he has Thor looking pretty helpless there, and it's just the the picture is doing all the talking for you really don't need anything else so you've got you know the title of the book and you've got the title of the story you know the fall of asgard that's it that's all the verbiage that there is on the cover and i I think that's pretty pretty impressive for this time period you know to let the art just carry the cover um and i think the art is really fantastic the only thing in the in the whole cover that i don't care for is thor's face he just he's got kind of a weird now i know he's supposed to be grimacing and giving kind of a hateful sneer back to to loki but it just looks a little goofy um but other than that i really like this cover a lot um i'm actually going to go a straight up a on the cover i I think it's a pretty awesome cover I, i think it is an iconic cover um so yeah it really works for me i mean this if i'd seen this on on the stands as a kid you know and was was able to buy comics which i wasn't because I was not even two years old yet. <laughs> you know, I definitely would have snagged it because I, I think it looks really cool. Um, interior art I dig quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I've definitely seen better from from Kirby, but I like this uh, you know pairing on Thor because again, you know, it's just so much. Sadly, so much of Thor by Kirby that that i've seen that i've read that i remember is where he's saddled with coletta who's just not doing him any any favors and he's you know sabotaging the art so often so to see it here where the art is properly inked and and really enhanced just really looks great and there are some just fantastic pages and panels you know going again back to page six that beautiful full page splash of the giants that's just i'm so impressed by that it looks really cool it has a perfect sense of scale and threat to it and you know there's there's a lot of other really cool uh panels the action uh really flows i mean it it really uh has a sense of motion to it and, and a very cinematic feel to it um Somebody with uh, with some good Photoshop skills, I'd love to see them take the last panel of page 13 of, of Odin, you know, sleeping the Odin sleep, and like Photoshop like My Little Pony or something onto the onto the the quilt that he's got. You know, that he's <laughs> in. I, I think that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I I really dig the art in this. I think I'm gonna go a I think I'm gonna go a B plus uh, on the art because I, I dig it quite a bit. Um, I would be higher, but again, um, much like Coletta, there there are still a lot of uh, panels that have no backgrounds at all, just like a solid color. And I don't know, maybe the maybe the original art is that way, but I kind of have trouble believing that when you're talking about Jack Kirby, because he tended to throw everything and the kitchen sink into every panel. So uh, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, is has something been been lost there you know to save time or something but overall i think it is a pretty impressive uh you know inking job on the whole thing so i like it story's the tough one to grade on this because i i enjoy the hell out of the issue it's fun it moves a lot of shit's going on it's a really cool you know action comic book 
But story-wise, is it really all that great? Well, no, the story's actually pretty dopey. Um, with again, I just can't get past the thing with uh, you know just because Loki has physical possession of the ring, everybody seems to ignore how he got it, and that just seems dumb to me. I, I, I just it destroys all credibility that somebody's not like. No, I'm not going to bow and scrape to you. You snuck in and stole it. You know, they just all of a sudden they go up. Oh, he's in possession of it. So he's king now. Well, that just seems really dumb to me. So um, on that level, I, I, it pains me, but I think I'm just going to go a C plus, which is probably being overly generous. Um, but yeah, that is uh, it's just really tough to overlook that that one part of the story. But the rest of the story, I, I think, you know, actually flows pretty good. And I like the nice balance between a little bit of stuff on earth and a little bit of stuff on Asgard. I liked that. Um, when, when Thor can strike that balance, cause that's gotta be tough to do to, you know, to keep all facets of Thor's story, um, flowing from issue to issue. Cause I mean, Thor, despite him being one character, he, he lives in a really big world, you know, between, you know, Asgard and all the characters and all the goings on there. And then, you know, Don Blake's world on earth and, you know, all the characters and all the goings on there. And so, you know, there's, there's entire runs of Thor that I've read where that balance isn't very good. So when they get it really, really good, like with this, I I like it. I, you know, I appreciate it and I, you know, I want to give it kudos. So, you know, it's a nice balancing act here that, um, you know that we're seeing both of them. Although, come to think of it, poor Don Blake's story doesn't really get advanced because as Thor is headed to his Don Blake identity, he gets sidetracked by Sif, so we don't ever get that. But oh well. Um, but yeah, overall great on this. You know, despite the dopey story, I, I think the cover and the and the interior art and the action of the story carried enough to still give it a, a really high grade. So uh, I think I'm going to give it an overall B because I, I think it's a really solid book. It's fun. At the end of the day, despite the dopiness of the story, it's still fun. So there you go. All right, cool. So that's the only Thor issue in our Loki score episode. <laughs> and that'll move us on to, I guess, the second of our books, which is Jeans. Yes, and it stars a former Thor, as a matter of fact. And this will be Thunderstrike number 21. The uh, cover date is June of 1995, on sale April 25th, 1995. And the cover is a homage to Avengers number one. Except in place of the four Avengers that you have there, you have Thunderstrike, War Machine, She-Hulk, and the Scott Lang Ant-Man. But they are facing off against Loki. Now, on the inside, we have the title, which is Pacts of Vengeance. And the story is by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. DeFalco did the script. Friends did the pencils. Al Milgram did the finished art. Jazz Chiang was the letterer, Chris DiFilippio was the colorist, Ralph Macchio was the editor, and Marvelous Mark Gruenwald was the editor-in-chief. And we open with the serpent god Seth uh, bringing back Loki from the dead. And he basically says, okay, go find... 
in repayment for me bringing you back, go find Thunderstrike and annoy the hell out of him. And we switch over to Thunderstrike meeting She-Hulk for lunch, and they are overseen by a, uh, a certain lady friend of Eric Masterson, who seems to notice who Thunderstrike is with. And as they are eating, Loki, much as he did in Avengers number one, causes the She-Hulk to be seen as a threat. She attacks Thunderstrike, believing him to be Zemnu, who apparently can do mind control and basically looks like an overgrown Tribble. And cutting from Thunderstrike flying through the window, we go to Four Freedoms Plaza, where War Machine and Ant-Man are looking up uh, information. They overhear that She-Hulk is battling Thunderstrike on the police band, and they go to try and help out. Thunderstrike protects uh, his lady friend and makes sure that nothing happens to her. Her name is Jackie, by the way. And she notices this, that he couldn't get his mace in the way, so he blocked the flying rubble with his body. War Machine shows up and manages to tick off She-Hulk, so she knocks him in the next week. Thunderstrike uses his mace to pull power from the city's power grid and zap She-Hulk back into reality. Ant-Man has used the ants to spot Loki up on the roof. Now, Loki is in a completely different costume. It looks like his normal costume, except that what would normally be green is purple, and what would normally be gold is silver. So it, it's kind of a, an interesting look. As the four heroes jump up onto the rooftop to battle him, Loki realizes, ah, oh, crap, I did again. <laughs> he brought another Avengers team together, and he buggers off. Ant-Man suggests, hey, you know, we work together, we could be a team, and they all say, nah. So we cut to Thunderstrike going down to an alley, and he changes back into Eric Masterson. Now, Jackie comes up, and sees him and says, hey, do you have any plans for tonight? Well, let's go have dinner. This is overseen by another lady friend who is Lee Princess. Ha ha. And they, there's a montage. They, uh, Eric and Jackie go to dinner. They have fun. They dance. They kiss. And then Lee is up on top of the building when Eric gets home and says, no, 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 I'm this cosmic entity. I just need to go away. You you cannot come with me because, you know, her heart's broken. So she leaves. Eric's other roommate comes up and says, oh, well, instead of a sexy lady, how about we get a sexy man for our next roommate? And Eric is looking up into the sky with a teardrop coming out of his eye. The end. Oh. <laughs> well, he doesn't have too much longer. <laughs> he only got a couple more issues. That is true. And then it it will be the end. So this is this is one that you know I personally I really like Eric Masterson as a character. I followed I got pretty much every issue of him as Thor, and then when Thunderstrike started up, I got that. And this. You know, it's a, a, a day in the life, essentially. Uh, but 
What I really like about it is that it makes Loki look like a nitwit because he does <laughs> the exact same thing he did in Avengers number one, and he gets the exact same result, and he's shocked by this. I like the way that they homage Avengers number one without being a total, total ripoff of it, but really parallel so much of it. You know, between the cover, <clears throat> the splash page, Mm-hmm. showing Loki's eyes kind of floating around, which is something they did in that Avengers issue. Uh, you know, there's a, like, you know, a lot of little things that, that are definitely meant to, uh, to homage that. Uh, so I enjoy that. <clears throat> I've always gotten a big kick out of Zemnu's uh, little metal skull cap. <laughs> it looks like Merlin from Excalibur. Yes. Except a very, very hairy Merlin. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember, was it in the Defenders issue, I think, uh, where he was, like, creating a kid's show to to, to uh, <laughs> hypnotize all the kids yeah. and get them to come to his planet and repopulate yeah. it? And it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it really is just a fun, dopey character that I get a kick out of. And it's, it's interesting that they would use it here in that way. And apparently there must have been a She-Hulk battle with that character at some point because she totally recognizes him. In uh, in Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne, he was, I want to say he was one of the first Morts that she battled, I, I think. I, I can't remember exactly which issue it was, but Burn, it, it's like Byrne started the title and was on it for a while, and then something happened and he quit and left for a while and somebody else filled in and then he came back and had a second run i'm pretty sure it was in the first few issues of his first run on that on that title where uh where uh zemnu was in there See, and he's a mort because he's an incredibly silly character but he's not a mort in power level like they 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 never make a joke out of he didn't start out that yeah he didn't start out that way he's just he's one of those ones that kind of became one over time <laughs> so i mean and he's not certainly not the focus of this issue but just i i like the fact that they used him in here uh you know overall just i don't know i i kind of got a little bit lost on the end when they were doing the love story part of this thing and all of that 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 didn't do anything for me to speak of but the whole you know faux avengers getting together i got a big kick out of and yeah. i really enjoyed now Paul, what's your what's your take on Thunderstrike? What's your history with him and everything? Uh, I was, I guess he was introduced as a character right around the time when I was taking my hiatus from uh, collecting comics because I was familiar with him, but you know I didn't follow his history all that much when he was uh, in you know in control of the Thor book. so I, I, I didn't have a tremendous history with him, but I always found them to be interesting. I kind of liked, to a limited extent, except when they started overdoing it, uh, I liked when they would do the uh, legacy characters taking over for a short time. It just became a little bit too much of a trope that, you know, okay, this, this book is suffering, so let's bring in another character to be the main star now. Uh, you know, once, once it became more of a trope, right. that it, it started to bother me more. But early on... Uh, you know, I guess the Thunderstrike for Thor and, and uh, War Machine for Iron Man, or just Rhodey for Iron Man, rather. Uh, those those were fine with me. I didn't really have a problem with them. 
I didn't really follow Johnny Walker as Captain America very much. So I can't even comment on that too much. But again, it seems to have become like too much of a trope after a while. I got you. Yeah, it, it definitely became a, a thing because there's that that cover, uh, really awesome cover of uh, an issue of Marvel Age, where it shows all the characters lined up, all the Marvel characters lined up that had undergone like a like a fluctuation in mm. their character, and I wish I could quote you like which one it I'd, I'd have to hunt it up but i think like half the people in the picture are not even like the regular because it's like thunderstrike is in there i think and like the captain or maybe it is john walker as captain america but you know it's the black outfit spider-man's in his black it's like everybody had undergone like this big change and none of the the iconic characters were in their iconic look or phase during that time it was actually kind of interesting yeah, that because uh, that I've seen a a lot because it's uh, the Captain Thor in his battle armor, Iron Man oh, and Silver right. Centurion, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Gray Hulk, and then Spider Man in the black costume. So it's all, hey, yeah. here here are the new versions of these characters, right? Yep, nobody has the iconic look at the moment. Oh, I, I looked it up. Um, I think he actually appears the issue before. I could be wrong, but uh, Zemnu is battling She-Hulk on the cover of Sensational She-Hulk number seven. So yeah, it was pretty early into her run where mm-hmm. she battled him. What do you think of the artwork in this? I'm a little conflicted on the interior artwork because I am a huge Ron Friends fan. Um, I I love the guy's work. And uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say I'm a fan, but I typically like Al Milgram. He's not my favorite artist. He's not my favorite inker, but I I typically like his stuff quite a bit. And a lot of that's nostalgic because he was working on... um, spider-man a lot like when i first got into spider-man as a kid so i I have kind of a sentimental soft spot for his style but this is a little it's a little clunky in parts i I don't know that that they're like out i don't know that milgram's really a good fit for friends during this particular phase um I, i there's there's a couple wonky bits in here and I kind of feel like the blame is more Milgram's than Friends because I I really dig Friends' stuff a lot Um, sometimes uh, some of the faces are a little like there's a page what is this 14 it's weird they're using Roman numerals for the page numbers which is really bizarre but page 14 third panel of Masterson talking to Jackie where he's going well no he looks he looks like an old man he looks really (laughs) weird there and then the very last panel uh, of the first story where he's shedding a tear as he watches what's her face fly away Stellaris or whatever her name was yeah he looks like he looks like Foggy Nelson with a blonde mullet or something (laughs) it doesn't 
he's like I've got a real fat face and I'm like that's not Eric Masterson so it looks really weird but again I think it's the inks I, I really don't think it's it's friends's pencils um uh, I it, think it, it's friends it, but it might th- be a little bit friends's pencils just because it is 1995 and it seems like everyone was pushing you know, the editorial was pushing more. Hey, why can't you look more like Todd McFarlane? But I, I, it you looks know? to me, mm. and I could be wrong on this, but it looks to me like like Friends did somewhat loose pencils, and, right? And but, that, that Milgram, you know, Milgram did a lot is, of the finishing work. Yeah, Milgram is listed as yeah. finished art, not inker. Yeah, so that's it's true. probably more of a layout and finish thing. Yeah. But, I mean, that said, I mean, the layouts, I think, are fantastic. There's some really good panels. I love the one where uh, where Thunderstrike's being blasted out of, or punched or whatever out of the <laughs> diner on page four is a great yeah. panel. And I couldn't help but notice that She-Hulk, in just about every panel, not every one of them, but just about every panel is very burn-like. And that's nice to see because it always irritated me during the time, like after she got her big makeover by John Byrne and went from being savage She-Hulk to sexy She-Hulk, essentially, when she would pop up in other books and they still had her look like weird or bizarre or something. And they didn't have her, you know, she wasn't pretty. She wasn't beautified like Byrne had done, you know, with the sexy hair and all that sort of thing. I mean, I didn't need her to be, you know, overly sexualized. Don't get me wrong, but just to be consistent. And I find this to be very consistent for the most part with what Byrne had done with the character. So that that's refreshing to see. I, I think he did a really good job with her um, without just outright copying or, or ripping off Byrne. I mean, it's still his distinctive art style, but it's very Byrne esque. You can, you can see the influence there. So I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. Overall, I, I, I like the art. Um, I just, yeah, the, these two paired together, I don't know, is the greatest pairing in this. I think the book starts a little rough because that opening semi-splash page thing with the with the character shots on the side just ah, that just I mean as a first thing that you're seeing when you open the book, it's just I open it and I go, oh no. But that's <laughs> but that's meant to totally homage the splash page to Avengers one. Ah, uh, okay, maybe yeah. that's why. Okay. No, no question. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you can uh, take a look at that. Yeah, I'd have to pull that up. I, I can't remember how Avengers number one starts. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. You know, I'm going to say something odd here. I, I'm a huge Thunderstrike fan. Um, however, this is my first time reading this issue. <laughs> um, oh, okay. What I what I mean by that was uh, I remember when Thunderstrike became a thing. You know, I, I was reading Thor actively when you know Eric Masterson uh, became Thor for a time and, and was uh, Thor, and then you know when they split him off, you know, to his own book, gave him his own powers and everything, and and he became Thunderstrike. I was really excited by that because then it was best of both worlds because you know, a lot of people were bitching they wanted you know the actual thor so thor came back so then you had thor in thor but then you also had this other great character that we'd come to like eric masterson is now his own heroic identity of thunderstrike so you had two books you had thor and you had thunderstrike and 
I remember when Thunderstrike started, and that was back in the days when, you know, I was doing a little bit of speculation buying and everything, and, and I remember buying, like, multiple copies of Thor, uh, rather, uh, Thunderstrike number one, thinking, you know, this is going to be a hot book. When, yeah, right. But I did. You know, I bought a, you know, a bunch of extra copies. I was really into the book, and then I can't tell you what happened. I don't remember now, but for some reason, after about the midway point of the series... Um, I just didn't get it anymore. I don't. I don't remember what happened. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, life stuff, moving around. I can't remember if I lost interest in the book, which doesn't seem likely. I don't remember why, but for some reason, I never finished the the series. I never finished, you know, collecting or reading it. Um, so just recently, like in, literally in the past couple of months. I have uh, I have tracked down uh, the remaining issues of this series that I needed. So now I have the whole run. I've just been meaning to sit down and uh, and get them. And for some weird reason, I couldn't tell you why this particular issue was pricey. I don't know why. Um, so I was really looking forward to reading this to try to find out, you know, to answer that question. Like, why was this issue in particular so expensive? And I didn't really read anything in it that answered that question for me. I, I still don't really know because it seemed like, I mean, it was fun. It's a good issue, but it seems like kind of a standard issue of Thunderstrike from what I could tell. I didn't see where there was any, like, new character introduced or, you know, some big crossover or anything. I So I'm a little bit mystified. I mean, the only thing that really happens in this um that was kind of a like a big deal was in the second story of the book that he reveals his secret identity to his son, which I thought had happened a long time before this. <laughs> I didn't realize it, it happened just a couple issues before the series ended. So yeah. that was kind of weird, but I think but, that yeah, is I, the, I think that is the reason because now oh, okay. Kevin knows. And oh, okay. like you said, there's nothing else in here that would yeah. make it super expensive. But, yeah, I, I really I dug this, and now I, I do want to go back and uh, and you know reread the you know the series from you know you know and be able to do a proper read from beginning to end because I, I never have I know what happens to him you know I, I know how the right. series ends and everything but I don't know you know the details from having actually read it I, I'd like to do that I like that he became a, a legacy character of sorts because his son. Um, did pick up the mantle and became Thunderstrike in the M2 universe, you know, with Spider-Girl and, and all of that. So I thought that was pretty neat. I, I have read that. Um, the, he got his own, I want to say it was a four-issue miniseries, I think. Something like that. Yeah, where, yeah, where the sun uh, was Thunderstrike. I, I did read that, and it was, it was pretty good. That was by friends as well. Um, I don't remember who the inker was, but the, the art in that was pretty good as well. So yeah, I, I like this character. I'm, I'm sad that he's not around anymore, but uh, but I dug him. I thought he was pretty cool. Yeah, and actually, it's the, I I'm not happy that he's not around anymore, but I am happy that he went out the way he went out, and that's it. <laughs> he's they haven't right. brought him back yeah. because that would negate half of what it you know the reason right. he went out. Right. Yeah, I, I, I've kind of cheated myself a little bit on the ending because, I again, I knew that he wasn't around anymore, but I didn't know all the details of it. There's a remark that um, Jackie makes when mm. when uh, 
She-Hulk is coming to to baff him again. He's trying. He's concerned with the people, and he's trying to clear people out. And there's a thought balloon from Jackie where she says, "Thunderstrike is outmatched. He needs help. If only I could." Dot dot dot. And I uh-huh. thought, oh, what is she a superhero or something? So I looked her up on uh, you know on Google, and it spoiled the whole damn thing. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done that. So. I didn't know. I, I didn't remember her at all. So I, yeah, I was and, really. And that mystery goes on for like three quarters of the, the, the series. It is right. You know what what's going on here. Right. I think I think the next issue is where it gets revealed. Because I don't think it's in the very last issue. I think it's the next one. Speaking of mysteries, this book was pretty good about. Um, footnotes and, and stuff and you're know, catching you up on things except for one that okay. really stuck with me and it, it's annoying me so on page four we cut to four freedoms plaza you've got scott lang and roadie as war machine or, or comparing notes and talking and everything and it seems like the whole reason that roadie is there is because he's looking for Loki because he wants to get even with Loki for having done something to manipulate him into fighting Thor. But, but there's no reference. So when the hell did that happen? <sighs> Trying to remember. Because I think that was in the the um, in the Masterson era. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because Scott, Scott Lang says he goes, creepy guy, he says he minds up you into fighting Thor, huh? And that's all there is. There's no footnote. I'm like, damn it, I want to know what story. Have I read this? I don't know. Because so <laughs> I, I, like, uh, I like War Machine. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, he, when I first started reading Marvel Comics, he was Iron Man. Tony was, right. was yeah. recovering, and he was out of the suit, and Rhodey was Iron Man. So I've always right. pictured him as being the one in the suit. Right. Oh, and if you uh, look in the Skype chat, I posted the um, splash page to Avengers number one. Oh, sure enough. Okay, yep. That's cool. Okay, yeah, I didn't so, catch that, but you're right. That is so now you cool. see the constraints they're working in. <laughs> yeah. I love what I love when I'm right. That, yeah. <laughs> But you would think I'd be so used to it that it wouldn't really uh, stand out. But uh, anyway, (laughs) should we rate this one? Sure. All right. Well, the cover, it's a takeoff on an iconic cover. (laughs) But luckily in this, War Machine isn't all hunched over like Iron Man was on (laughs) Avengers number one. (laughs) That never looked right. So it's, I mean, Scott, like you, I'm a mark for Ron Friends. Uh, the DeFalco Friends run following the Simonson run on Thor is one of the things that I just ate up. It was wonderful, uh, and I've followed, you know, a lot of what Friends has done since. Even on Superman. Man can really draw a Superman. So on yep. this, you know, I'm... I'm going to have to give it an A because he does a great job of playing as an homage to the original, but it's not 
slavishly done to the original. It's all these characters are in the correct look for them. They're just in the positioning of the other one. Uh, on the interior art, yeah, there, there's something going on here. I think it's probably due to the fact that it was just friends doing the layouts and Milgram finishing. Also, the fact that it's 1995, so things are a little wonky in, in the art world in comics. So, but it, it, it moves along very well. Layouts are really good. Like you said, She-Hulk has the, uh, the string of hair constantly in her face, which Byrne would always draw. It does get a little goofy at some points, but you know I'll I'll give it a solid B. And the story, the story is fun. I mean, it plays on the whole Avengers thing. You get a lot of the same beats. It's She-Hulk that is seen as the threat that the others have to come together and stop. The two of the heroes get their information via the radio in order to get there. It's uh, it's really well done as an homage. Loki's using the same powers he did in the illusions and everything. And like I said, it just makes Loki look like a moron, which is always a good thing in my book. So, uh, art wise, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a B. And story wise, I'm going to say it's probably. A B plus. Not, I mean, it's a fun issue. It's not uh, earth shattering, but it's the it's the breath before the final two issues of the series. So it, it does serve a purpose. So it's a B overall on the book. All right. Okay. You want to go? Or you want me, Scott? I'll go ahead and go. Um, <clears throat> I, I likewise really dig the cover on this. I think it's, uh, I mean, it is an iconic cover, you know, the, at least the one that's being homaged. But I think it's semi-iconic as well, even though it is an homage uh, for the reasons you gave. You know, it, it gives, uh, uh, you know, gives us these characters in their modern look, and it's positioning them without being slavish to that original uh uh, Avengers number one cover. I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I think I'd go in a straight up A on this cover. I really dig it. It's very eye catching. Um, interior art's a really tough one because I, I'm a huge, huge uh, Ron Friends fan. Um, it's you know, and and I'm not you know I'm not a detractor of Al Milgram, although you know I will acknowledge that you know there's there's good Al Milgram and there's eh, there's okay Al Milgram. This is more in the okay category, I think. I don't know that he's necessarily bringing his A game here, but for the most part, it, it works. There's a little bit of wonkiness, there's some inconsistent stuff, but overall, it, it works pretty well. So. I think I'm going to go a B minus uh, on the art, which I wish I could be more generous than that. But unfortunately, there's there's just a little bit too much on the on the wonky side here. But overall, uh, I really do like it. And, you know, layout wise, it's it's dynamic and, you know, it's it's the friends that I expect, you know, when I get into a book like this um, story wise. I mean, it's okay. It's not much of a story, really. It's it's a pretty simple premise. It's a pretty simple setup, um, and it is 
you know, it is one of two stories in the book. The the other story in the book actually having a bit more meat and a bit more punch to it, honestly. Um, but it's fun. And, you know, that's what I come to expect from uh, both of these guys. You know, the, the, the Falco Friends team, to me, it, it's a shame that, that, you know, that team is not more mentioned. You know, when I when I hear people talk about you know, great teams and comics or, or great comics in general. Um, I love these guys working together. You know, uh, I, I really respect and really enjoy, you know, all the times that they work together. And I think they, they really created some of the best uh, comics of the eighties, honestly, you know, together as a team. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, getting into Thor, there's, there's really two things I credit with, you know, with my becoming, a Thor fan, uh, and that would be, you know, of course, Walt Simonson. I mean, Walt Simonson got me to pay attention to Thor because I never, I mean, I actually had a very, very low opinion of Thor, you know, growing up as a kid. I saw him as kind of a goofy, sissy character, to be honest with you. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, you know, Chris Honeywell's Thor collection, you know, a Simonson collection of Thor, you know, fell in my lap and, I started reading it because he thought so highly of it that I was like, wow, this is actually really good. So I, I paid attention to it. But, you know, the minute that Simonson left Thor, so did I. And it wasn't until discovering the the DeFalco friends run of Thor. That's what really sucked me. Not not only sucked me back in, but really made me a fan to the point where then I because they referenced so much stuff from all of Thor's history that really made me want to go back and read the earlier stuff. Cause friends, uh, was very much doing a, a Kirby vibe and everything. And, and DeFalco also did a lot of callbacks to things from way back in, you know, in Thor's history and everything. So it's really that team that, that sucked me into like the, the overall mythology of the title, as opposed to just, the Norse mythology that Simonson concentrated on so much. So, uh, you know, visiting something like this where it's that team again, just, you know, really sucks me back into the whole thing. And, and now I want to sit down and, and, you know, properly read this particular title from start to finish. Cause I, I really, I, I just, I enjoy this team. I enjoy, you know, the style of comics that they do. And, uh, and I really dig this character as well. So, Story-wise, eh, I'm gonna go a, I'll go a B on the story. You know, it, it was enjoyable, it was fun. I liked, the, you know, the little romp aspect of it and everything. And uh, overall grade for the whole book, um, eh, I'll go, I'll go a B plus on it. I, I think it, it might actually be, you know, greater than the sum of its parts to us to a certain degree. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so. Uh, the cover, it is a takeoff of an iconic cover. It is really eye-catching. You know, I, I had picked up this one even though I wasn't buying Thunderstrike just because of the cover. So, you know, when we asked the question, would it make you buy it? Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> it's hard to give too high of a rating of a cover that's just an homage, though just because of, you know, it's it doesn't have the total originality. Um, 
that said, I think this is about as good as you're going to do on that. So I'm going to say a solid, solid B on the cover. Um, the interior art. I keep thinking about what Gene said earlier that, you know, this is in the era of, well, how much like Todd McFarlane could you make yourself look? Uh, and I do think there's an element of that going on here. Uh, I think, as we said, I think it's more Al Milgram with loose pencils by, uh, by Ron Friends. So the layouts I'm really happy with. The inking, not really as much. But, you know, the bottom line is the storytelling is done well. It's easy to follow. Everybody, you know, nobody looks totally dopey. I don't, I don't really see any, <laughs> well, I was going to say I don't see any derp face, but yeah, the scene when he's crying at the end is kind of a derp face. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a B minus on the interior art. It's still pretty solid overall. Uh, and story wise, it's funny because I really like the whole homage to Avengers number one. But once we pass that up after, you know, how, how many pages is that? Uh, like 14 pages? I'm done then. Right. The, the, the whole love story thing, right. it, it, it's I could just totally do without it. didn't do a Dawn thing for me. I kind of feel like maybe this would have been better served to actually be three stories. Yeah. To do, you know, have, have the first story end on page whatever that is, 12, I think where everybody goes, nah, and just have that be enough said or whatever, have it mm -hmm. end. Then have this love story be a little interlude that's like five or six pages, and then the last story in the book. And so, yeah, I agree with you there. It, it does feel really weird that the movie's not over. you still got 20 minutes left. Yeah, there's, there's a, a, it feels like there's a very big disconnect between the first part of the story and the ending. Yeah, yeah and yeah. that's... In my opinion, I don't know for for certain, but it's probably like they knew. Oh crap! We only have two two uh, issues left. We gotta do something with these subplots right now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But you know, because of that, I'm gonna. It's gonna lose a little bit of. If it was just the fun romp, Avengers number one takeoff, I think I'd be giving it a much higher grade. But because of that disconnect i have to take some off of it that said i, I enjoyed the the takeoff enough that i'm going to say a b on the uh on, on the story just the same and overall i'm going to give the book a solid b well, i'm glad you two enjoyed it <laughs> i did I, I really did enjoy it i always any any chance to look back at this character i i always enjoy that because i did dig him well, we got time for one last book. It's up to you, gents. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I do have to get up in six hours, so. Right. Do you want? Do you want okay. to save? You want well, to save that for uh, for next time out, or? If you eh. wouldn't mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm just as happy jettisoning it, to be honest with you, because I mean, it was fun, but it wasn't. Can, can we know, cover it, it in five minutes? Um. Yeah, we probably could. It's, my, it's, my pretty, it's a pretty is... simple story. So why don't we just really, really yeah. quickly just go through it? All right. So what we are looking at here is Marvel Double Shot Number Two. You're probably going, huh? What the hell is that? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so here's how I wound up with this real quick is uh, I struggled. What I wanted to do was because the Loki series, the, the Disney Plus series, and this is me not knowing a lot about it going in because I haven't watched trailers or anything, but it looks like it's going to be just him off having his own adventures. I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to cover some stories of Loki away from Thor that don't have anything to do with Thor. And so I was looking for that kind of a story and really not finding it. Um, a couple others I found was uh, a Marvel Age annual number one, strangely enough, actually had a story in it that was pretty cool. Um, Loki's in it, but there wasn't enough Loki to really justify pulling that one. And then another one I found was Tales to Astonish Volume 3 from 1994, number one. It was like a one-shot. That looks really cool, but it was like 66 pages, and it looked like it was very involved. So maybe another time on that one. So anyway, I wound up with this one because it was short, it was sweet, and Loki's the focus of it. So... This is from uh, February 2003, on sale uh, December 4th, 2002. I failed to note what the price was on the thing, but you know somebody else can look that up. Cover features Doctor Doom on his throne by uh, Joe Jusko. It's a pretty cool-looking picture with an inset picture of a Simpsonized Avengers team. So we are looking at the second story in the book, starring Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers, in The Roots of All Evil. The writer-slash-artist is Bongo Comics co-founder Bill Morrison. Bongo Comics, of course, uh, The Simpsons. And that's all you really need to know going into this. The entire story looks and kind of feels uh, like it takes place in the world of The Simpsons. Our story begins uh, outside the gates of Regal Asgard, where the Enchantress casually lounges on the Rainbow Bridge as Loki grouses and swears vengeance on his hated brother Thor for about the billionth time. The Enchantress, secretly not wishing any harm to come to the God of Thunder, reminds Loki that before he was the God of Evil, he was known as the God of Mischief, and perhaps it is time for him to kind of revisit his roots. Loki likes this idea, thinking pranksterism would be a welcome change. Meanwhile, aboard a Quinjet, the Avengers, consisting of Captain America, Hawkeye, the Vision, the Scarlet Witch, and the Black Knight, streak toward home. The Black Knight is on the comm telling Jarvis, the butler, uh, that they're on their way and should be there in about an hour. Hawkeye, being a dick, pipes up and asks Jarvis to polish his arrows and dust his quiver when they get back, to which Jarvis readily agrees. Thinking the comm line is then closed, Hawkeye berates the faithful manservant, uh, faithful manservant, that's hard to say, for being humorless, dull, and boring. Jarvis overhears this, and an embarrassed Black Knight makes apologies for Hawkeye's statements. Jarvis is left wondering if that's what the Avengers really think of him. Later, while the Avengers settle in and Hawkeye tries desperately to apologize to Jarvis, an invisible Loki strikes first smearing hair removal cream <laughs> inside Thor's helmet and then loosening the cap on the kitchen salt shaker. Later, still invisible, he flushes the toilet while the falcon is in the shower, scalding him, and he pulls the old burning bag of dog shit on the doorstep <laughs> trick on Captain America. That's my favorite part, then, by the way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> then, disguised as Nick Fury, he, he tricks the gullible vision into doing a computer search for a mugshot of the terrorist, Harry Butts. 
He also puts fire ants in Iron Man's armor, red dye and Scarlet Witch's shower nozzle, greases Captain America's shield with not Vaseline, and so on and so on and so on. The next morning, the Avengers gather and compare notes on all the pranks that have been pulled on them overnight. A bald Thor and a quick-tempered Hawkeye get into it, and the commotion catches Jarvis's attention. He comes into the room just as Loki, thoroughly enjoying the mischief he's caused, forgets himself and becomes visible. Jarvis, realizing what's going on, hatches a scheme. He puts a makeshift whoopee cushion on Loki's chair, and when the god of mischief, overcome with laughter, plunks himself back down again, the loud farts, loud farts sound draws the attention of the squabbling Avengers. As Thor seizes and throttles his brother, and the other Avengers line up for their shot at him, Loki's horned headpiece flies off and winds up in the hands of Jarvis the butler, who dons it and proclaims, Edwin the Dull is dead. Long live Jarvis, god of mischief. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Um, I really don't have much on this other than it was cute. It was it was a fun little thing. And, uh, you know, you have to remember this, this entire issue is drawn in the Simpsons uh, artwork style. And so there's a moment right at the very end of the story where Thor literally has his both hands around uh, Loki's neck and he's throttling him and he is going, why you little, just like, uh, just like Homer Simpson. So that's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this was fun. This was a real fun read. I think this, this book served exactly the purpose it was meant to, or this story did. Uh, it, you know, like you say, it was fun. It was meant to be fun. It's silly. Uh, you know, it's just seeing the different pranks that he that he pulled on each of them, it was it was good enough to bring a smile to my face with with just about every one of them. So that that's you know that's doing something in in a comic book, I think. Uh, and just like I said, I got a particular kick out of out of Captain America stomping on the uh, bag of of poop, the flaming bag of poop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think that's 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 a great trick, it. and especially you know to get Captain America with it. I love that you know he, he you know you see there's there's the burning bag on the on the welcome mat, and and Loki just knocks on the door, and then the next panel is Cap opening, and again you got to remember he's drawn in Simpsons style, so he's he's answering there. He goes hello. He goes gasp. He goes sweet Dolly Madison <laughs> fire. <laughs> <laughs> It's just great. I well, love it. You know, and there's, there's so many like Simpsons little rifts here. Even like, uh, you know, Harry Butts. That's that's like Bart with his uh, mm-hmm. prank calls to Mo. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff yeah. like that, and it, it's just fun. Like I said, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's just it was a it was a whatever it is, ten fifteen pages, and it, it was it brought a, brought a smile to my face uh, throughout. Yeah. Yeah, I, the only question I have after all of this is which of the Avengers is buying that hair removal cream? Because the uh, the brand name's a little interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he actually steals, uh, Loki steals the cream out of uh, Falcon's bathroom. So it's Is it Falcon, Falcon's I bathroom? Guess? Because it's got, there's a picture of Ant-Man and the Wasp over the toilet. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's weird. Well, why is he in there... I don't know. It, it's uh, got to be his. I don't the know. Way, yeah, the, I'm looking at it like it's a fraternity house because in, right. <laughs> in the fraternity house I was in, we had two bathrooms. 
<laughs> so multiple <laughs> people live in there. You share. Well, the name of the hair remover hair removal cream is Skank Away. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm thinking it's to remove hair from a place other than your head. Let's just leave it at that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, you know, the, the question I walked away with was, did they have to pay anything to Matt Groening for using the Simpson style here? That is an interesting question. Yeah, because it it is so obviously the Simpson style, and I, right. I don't see I don't see a credit for yeah, it. Yeah, I was looking in the credits to see if yeah. they at least you know if they had a thank you or something, but nope. Well, see, I was surprised to, you know, because I, I didn't know that this existed. I found it by, you know, doing a search for, you know, I, I was looking through Lo, uh, Loki's uh, chronology, you know, publishing chronology, basically looking for a not Thor issue. And that's how I stumbled across this. So when I flipped to it and saw that it was The Simpsons, you know, the first thing I thought was, oh, this is Matt Gronick. And then I, I'm looking and I, I'm like, well, I don't see his name. Either. Who the hell is Bill Morrison? So I looked up Bill Morrison and then, you know, found out that, you know, who, who he is. So I don't know, you know, is this, you know, do they necessarily have to give any acknowledgments or anything to Gronig if this is also this guy's style or something? I, I really don't know how that works. but Yeah, no, I, hey, I don't right, know I, legally I, about it, honestly, as far as what rights Bill Morrison has. But I, I just, you know, I mean, it's so taken from The Simpsons, uh, you know, even, even with a lot of the, the jokes and things. It would be easy, it would be right. easy enough to... Mm-hmm. To make an argument that it is, but then again, it could just be considered a parody, in which, you know, in which case you get a lot of leeway legally. So, right. I, I, I doubt they have to pay him anything, but I would have thought they might have just given him a thank you or something. Right. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of it. I, I did. I thought mm-hmm. it was very cute. So, <laughs> you want to give a quick rating on it before we call it a night? Oh, um... <laughs> Um, well, the cover doesn't really have all that much to do with, uh, with the story inside. So I, I don't, I, I'm going to leave the cover, the cover out of my grade on this. Um, the art, I mean, the art works fine for what the art is. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a Simpsons fan, to be honest with you. I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't go out of my way to, you know, collect anything with with this particular style but it works for what the story it's it's kind of like a hembeck issue type of thing you know i don't i don't seek it out but it's fun when you find one type of thing so um you know on that level it it works for what it is so i i I don't i guess you know an a for you know for that type of humor story uh, and then the story was just—I mean, it was—it was humorous. It, you know, I got some genuine chuckles out of it and everything. So, I mean, it works on that level too. So, you know, again, you know, talking strictly as a humor book, uh, you know, make, you know, having a fun little cute humorous adventure of the Avengers—it it works. So, I, I guess I give the whole thing an A. Um, but I mean, if this was like a regular ongoing title type of thing, then you know it would get a hard pass for me. I, I wouldn't be interested. But you know, as a as a one off, you know, just 
backup story type of thing. Yeah, it was it was fun. I got a kick out. I'm of gonna it. just say I could totally echo exactly what you said. That's what I feel like for what it is, for the purpose it it was intended for, and as a one shot, this is an A. But more than that, it would it would you know it would lose steam with every subsequent issue and story. Right. Yeah, I'm right there with the two of you. This is uh, a short, fun one shot. You know, it's and it's a humor thing. So yeah, it's an A all around for it. I I had a blast reading this. Right, cool. <laughs> and I think you know we're gonna call an end to our Loki score at this point. But I'm thinking, and again, I don't know as far as when this is gonna be posted. But once we've seen the whole series, I think I'd like to go back and do a review episode on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. I, w- I was thinking when we were getting into this that, you know, I, I kind of wanted to have some some talk about the series as well. You know, our, our hopes and expectations and, you know, what we've thought of the, you know, of the things that we've gotten so far, like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Very Soldier, briefly, stuff like I'm that. I'm hearing that this series is likely to have a much greater influence on what's to come from the MCU than either of those series did. So, uh, so my expectations are interesting. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I mean, we can save it, or we could we could talk about it briefly if you if you like. I mean, in, real short for me, um, I enjoyed WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, but ultimately, I, I must confess, I was let down by both of them as well. I had huge expectations for both. Um, that neither of them quite lived up to. That's not to say I didn't enjoy them. I did. I enjoyed them for what they were. Um, but I think my expectations were just really high and very different from what I ended up getting. Um, with Loki, I'm actually going in with very, very low expectations, which I hope will serve me well. And the biggest reason I, I'm going in with really low expectations on this is that I'm not a big fan of of uh, alternate timeline stories, which I kind of feel like that's what this is just by the nature of this isn't really Loki because Loki died. I mean, you know, the the I don't know what numbering system they're using, you know, for the cinematic universe. But like if this was comics, then we would be talking about like the 616 Loki. Well, the 616 Loki is dead, you know, in mm. in the in the cinematic universe. You know, the prime Loki is dead. We saw Thanos kill him. So this is an alternate reality, an alternate universe Loki and I'm like, well, how interested, how invested am I supposed to be in that, you know? So hopefully it'll win me over. Hopefully it'll do some really cool things and, you know, and really suck me into it, but so far I'm going in kind of going, "Eh, I'll watch it, but I'm I'm not I'm not jazzed for it. Quick take, Gene. Whereas I have no expectations at all, just like I didn't with WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I knew that the series were coming out. I purposely did not watch trailers or read articles about them, so I was pleasantly surprised with each one. So we'll see if that holds true with Loki. Yeah, I think that's that's fair all around. Cool. And Paul is muted. <laughs> I am muted. I'm sorry. I was muted. Uh, but I guess, you know, those, that's a fair take on, on uh, 
our expectations, I guess, and uh, we'll see what we end up getting. Uh, in the meanwhile, you know, like I said, I think we'll we'll revisit this once it's done. All right, thanks for coming on, Gene. Cool. Oh, thank you for having me. It's it's always fun talking uh, oddball characters with you. Guys. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's fun it's fun <laughs> to talk characters that you have such a uh, wealth of knowledge on as well. So, well, when you can't get Tom Harris, you get me. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I'll, I'll just leave. let that lie. Uh, <laughs> thanks again for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, unless you guys have anything else, we'll just see you next time. Well, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Forward, my frost giants! Strike deep! Do not stop until the throne of Asgard belongs to its rightful lord, Loki! I know that your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. But thick as you are, pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. The lights are not all off upstairs. But we are talking kings and successions. Even you can't be caught unawares. So prepare for the chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for sensational news. A shining new era is tiptoeing nearer. And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher. You could be that way again. You made your choice, Thor. Always the dutiful son. You chose to remain blind to Odin's lies. And for that choice, you will suffer. Why have you come here? Why, to kill you, of course, dear stepbrother. Loki? I have waited an eternity for this. Crush you with my bare hands to match your might. To feel your life fade away as my hands wrap around your throat. I have watched you worms all this time. On Midgard, you may play at being heroes, but here, you are less than nothing. Surrender. <laughs> Surrender.
You really have no idea with whom you speak, do you, mortal? Come to your new master, Mjolnir, and let us smite my stepbrother, for there are none stronger than Loki now. Your own father? You are not my father! Look at you, king of fools, of arrogance, of weakness and betrayal! Asgard will fall, and I will be there to laugh in its ruins, to see you and Thor in chains. Enough! Enough of this ridiculousness. To think that Loki, Prince of Darkness, should waste his time with defending Asgard. You will be stopped. <laughs> you believe the mortals will come to your rescue. If they were pulled into the Nine Realms as you were, then they are truly doomed. My forces will hunt them down and destroy them. There is no rescue coming, dearest brother. There is no escape. There is no hope. I do not make mistakes. Brother. Worry not, Thor. There is a spot left for you. He'll tear down your entire world. I find your prattling useless, mortal, just as you are now useless to me. Is aware of what is happening. Of course they're not. It is my plan after all. No one is ready for what 